Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Alone Podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, we've got another review to read from Apple Podcasts. So again, a huge thank you to everyone who is taking the time to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review and leave a comment. It it definitely means a lot to me to be able to see and hear uh, what your experiences are as you're listening to to the show and listening to this project. So with that, today's review comes from Social Media Gal. So Social Media Gal, thank you especially. And she says this, So happy I discovered this podcast to fill the void between alone seasons. I enjoy learning more about the folks who participated in the show. But I'm still left wondering if Megan's tooth is okay. So again, thank you, Social Media Gal. And yeah, you're, you're very right. We did not talk at all about Megan's teeth. Um, for those that don't remember or don't know, at the end of, of Megan's time on Alone, she had injured some teeth, and I believe that was part of the decision for her to leave the show was was those teeth. And so I was able to reach out to Megan and, and ask her that question for you, social media gal, to see how those teeth are doing. And Megan said that she actually had two crowns put in to fix the broken molars after the show. But uh, she's all good now. So thank you again for that review. And Megan, thank you for taking the time to answer that question and, and making a little little appearance here on the episode. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with episode 12 of the Alone Podcast. Tonight's guest is Barry Karcher from season six of Alone. Barry, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight and to share your stories with us. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so what I'll do is just take a quick second and kind of go through some some bio, and I think that maybe we're going to have some discussions about bio later on, but um, so Barry, like I just mentioned, was on season six of Alone, he is an accomplished martial artist doing Krav Maga, um, he's done a lot of protection work, and in, we'll, we'll talk about the bio, um, the reason why I'm being kind of cagey there is Barry just put some stuff on Facebook that um, I think is interesting and fascinating. But according to the History Channel bio, uh, Barry's been hunting and fishing and trapping since he was nine years old. And I think they even put in there um, that, you know, you've got some great ancestral skills. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about that History uh, Channel bio. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, though. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But uh, so I guess, Barry, we'll start off with, if you can just kind of give us a little bit of a background on yourself and kind of give us what you would say your biography is and, and who you are. Hey, what is my biography? Okay, so let me see. I grew up, I grew up extremely impoverished. Um, my family, we moved around like we were gypsies. Um, we, uh, you know... Unfortunately, I had to rob Peter to pay Paul sometimes, and uh, uh, my youth was was tough. And then my youth was again lost whenever I was a father of fifteen. Um, I grew up with a daughter and then a son. Um, it was important for me to be a chameleon growing up. It was important for me to be able to fit in because we moved so much. Um, I used to be really good at sales. I used to be really good at reading a room and reading people and being able to assess and make that, uh, make that, I don't know, that kind of knowledge work out for me. I used to be extremely driven for money. I used to think that money was going to be the big prize for, for my, my time here on this planet because I didn't have it growing up. Um, I used to be extremely, I used to be an extremely scared man protecting a little boy inside a lot of all of my decisions were made out of ego um i used to make every decision to protect that ego because that ego used to protect the little boy um i hurt a lot of people along the way um i used to be a toxic asshole um, um primarily again because letting anybody in jeopardize that little boy I grew up um, in um, an abusive household, not just physically, but uh, verbally, mentally. Um, it was a shit show. Um, I fought a lot, fought all the time. I was always getting fights and getting suspended from school. Um, I dropped out of college. Um, and then I went back to college and I finished a two year little degree. Um, 
I used to want to be a healer and a helper. I thought that it was like the thing I would be good at because I'd done so much harm in my life. So my life kind of gravitated in that direction. Um, I'm a father of two young children. I'm divorced. I lost my wife. And um, that opportunity, just from the changes that came from the show. Um, and currently, currently who I am is I'm, I'm essentially, I'm a nomad. Um, I left my career. Um, I work with my hands. I'm a carpenter. Um, I don't have really any of the same passions that I used to have before the show. All my wants and desires are different, which are based around a different set of moral values. And I, um, I have dreams of being an actor. I want to, I want to, I want to explore uh, characters. I want to bring those characters to life and I want to touch people with those characters. So I guess in short, I'm a healed man. Yeah. I, I love how you, how you put that. And there's, um, there's a lot of, of stuff there to, to get into and a lot of things I've wanted to discuss, but I think where you ended off with you're a healed man, I think we'll start there. Um, something that I've, I've noticed as I've gone through kind of your social media feeds, um, is that you're very passionate about men's mental health. And that's something that you, know, you talk about quite a bit. I think you've certainly just talked quite a bit about that mental health and, and, you know, maybe we'll call it the patriarchy, right? This, this need to, to be whatever a manly image is in society. And it brings back um, some memories to me from your clips on Alone. And, and obviously there's kind of some folly with <laughs> discussing how the show portrayed a certain moment because it doesn't always, you know, it isn't always what it appears to be. But I'm remembering a moment where you were in your shelter, I believe, and you were talking about how, you know, men have to be strong and how you had to be, how you felt like you had to be strong and tough and, and you couldn't give in, you couldn't quit and you couldn't do these things. Um, but it was driven by, you know, what I would think was potentially this unhealthy sense of, of what it means to be a man or to be a person. And it, there was this kind of a, a breakdown moment involved with that. Um, is that something, is that part of that whole experience? As you say, you're a healed man. And can you talk about that? Yeah, that's, that, that's a very large part of it. Um, I spent 40 years developing a, um, a person, um, this, this, this man, this very shaped culture, you know, and my entire life had been a set or a series of decisions that had purposely kept out of this inky blackness. We'll refer to it as an inky blackness. Okay. And this blackness affects all of us. Um, and at all times, it's trying to find its way in. And oftentimes, we're very, very good at being able to distract ourselves from it. We have music, emails, loved ones, comfort foods, our gym. We have all of these first world amenities that assist us in preventing us from ever really having to break down these egos and, and, and take a hard look in, in this. I had built up this bullshit persona of this big, strong, tattooed, mohawk, bearded, tough guy. And I had become extremely good at making sure nobody could hurt me. But what I came to understand, I think what all martial artists come to understand is the enemy you don't see. That's the biggest threat. And because I was never looking inward, whenever I finally got out there into the isolation, my biggest enemy stepped up and it was myself and that was that was something I had tried to avoid for a very long time did you know um you know I, I guess for for me for example <clears throat> I went through a time in my life where 
you know, I, I claimed that I was happy and that I, I claimed that I was doing well. Um, you know, but for me, it was one of those things where I, I claimed I was happy and I claimed I was doing well, but inside I knew I wasn't because, you know, you mentioned music, you know, for me, I, I use the example of once the music stopped, I felt all of that go away. Right. And so I, I knew personally that I had a problem. I just didn't want to face it. Did you know that you were putting up, I guess, did you know that you were protecting yourself when you were kind of building that persona of who Barry Karcher was back then? No, because the, okay, so like the building practices took on different meanings throughout the, throughout the sections of my life, right? So <clears throat> early on, me learning how to dodge a punch was because of my dad. Later on, learning how to dodge a punch was because of the fights in the street. Later on, learning how to dodge a fight, uh, a dodge a punch was because I wanted to be a better, you see what I'm saying? Like, so, yep. like, the evolution of the of the development of that person, Barry Karcher, the person that went on the show, um, he those things were happening subconsciously, and that and that's where we where we tend to identify a lot of the toxic where we where we tend to uh, name uh, title uh, a toxic masculinity traits. A lot of us the behavior of men and we go that's toxic and and and, and it's a shame it's, a, it's it's unfortunate because we never really get to the root of the cause of why so what we do is we don't understand why um why little barry needs to learn how to throw a punch why high school barry needs to throw know how to throw a punch and now why the adult barry um really has no absolute desire whatsoever in the world to throw a punch like, it's all about the development in the time and place that I was. It's all being done subconsciously. So I had no clue that throughout my life as this was happening, that I was like, oh, yes, I'm doing this to protect that damaged inner child. <laughs> no, I never, I, I didn't think that deep. Like, <laughs> like I wasn't, it, Barry wasn't, Barry wasn't that deep of a guy. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it, it uh, sounds like, it sounds like Barry had to start surviving, um, too young, right? And sure, and sure. I, I think when when the human has to start surviving in that way at such a young age, um, you know, nothing's off the table. And and so I think that makes sense to me. It, it resonates with me what you're saying for sure. Um, and it, I mean, was it was it just the alone experience and then coming home that that stripped that? I mean, did you go into alone that one? Barry Karcher, the the one protecting that little boy, as you put it, and then, you know, what was that evolution like? And and can you kind of talk through that as far as on the show and and having to deal with yourself and having to decide who you were and and learn about the true self, and then to where you are today. So the the experience was unlike anything I've ever. Ever, unlike anything I could have ever thought I could have ever experienced in my entire life, ever, 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 ever. I've come from tough times. I've come from lean times. I've been cold. I've been hungry. Uh, I've been sore, you know, that kind of stuff. But this is different. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people experience life, say something like, um, say they want to run a marathon. Well, you have the mental, the physical, and the spiritual aspect of anything in your life. You know, maybe maybe it's mental, or maybe it's more mental for somebody, and it's more physical for other people, and maybe it's a combination of spiritual and physical for some people, but rarely ever, 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 ever in life are the mental, the spiritual, and the physical cranked to 11. You know, we, 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 we moderate so much of our comfort zone. And even when we think we're outside of our comfort zones, we're really not. We're just bullshitting ourselves. But we enjoy that part of it. We're human. We like to believe we're something other than organic and serious. But we, we give ourselves all these first world pat on the back. 
You know what I mean? And that's what I had done. My whole life had been a series of these first world pat on the back. Oh, congratulations, you survived an abusive father. Yeah, a lot of people did. Oh, congratulations, you survived poverty. Pat yourself on the back. Yeah, a lot of people do. And the fact of the matter is, is that it probably wouldn't have been possible if you weren't already in a first world scenario anyway. So, like, I look at all of these struggles throughout my life now almost as a, it's almost comedic. Because everything I've struggled through, supposedly, has been a first world struggle. It has been. So, you know, whenever I came out of the show, you have to understand, I had built an entire life around these first world pat on the back. And then I came out completely cleansed and free of the nonsensical garbage that I had uh, wrapped a life around. And it no longer served me. I didn't, I, it doesn't serve me to be the kid who survived abuse. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't serve me to be the, the, the dude who was a father at 15 and sacrificed his child. It doesn't serve me. And, and that's the problem you're going to find with me, I think, for the rest of my life, is I am, I'm absolutely the ubermensch. You know, I, I am the ubermensch. I am the, it's hard now to readjust to a society. Um, that continually just pat themselves back on the back of these first world accomplishments. I'm supposed to, and I have to interact with them. It's hard. <laughs> you know? so, so yeah, the, uh, it, it, the show, the show just really put everything into perspective. It boiled down salt water and it left me with salt. And the salt of the issue is I've had it good. I've had it real good. I just needed it to be bad so I could, you know, have a reason to be mad and have a reason to push myself a little further and prove that person wrong. It was just a big, uh, big waste of energy and time. And it's hard because you see the entire world running around doing it. Yeah, it's, you know, know, I spent, um, and here I am, I'm going to give myself a first little pat on the back. (laughs) I, I spent uh, a decent chunk of time, you know, commuting, you know, eight miles to and from work each way, either on foot, running, you know, on a bike or whatever. And I thought I was pretty cool for a while, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm commuting on foot. I'm commuting on, on bike, whatever. Didn't use my car for like, you know, a year, basically. And a couple of months into that whole exercise, um, I realized that there were people around me every single day that I would pass and cross in the streets who were commuting to and from work on foot and on bike because they had to. And like, I thought I was cool because I had the luxury position to be able to do that. Right. And like, it was a luxury for me to be able to commute that way. But there were so many people that that's how they had to commute. They didn't have another choice based on where they were at at that moment in time. And I think that's what you're talking about, right. Is this, you know, we give ourselves these pats on the back when in reality, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. Um, but for you with your experience on alone, how, how long into your time there did this stripping away of, of the old berry start to happen? I mean, was it, did it take a couple of weeks before it started to break you down or how, how quickly did that start to happen? The minute my foot hit the rock, like I was out of my depth. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so like a lot of people don't don't know my true how I got on alone story. You know, there's ways to get on alone. There's like people can refer you who have been on the show. Um, talent searchers will talent you know will they'll look at Instagram pages and seek people out and and and, and introduce themselves. Um, me, I'm just a regular dude. I just apply like everybody else. I was just applying online. And I, what I did was I applied every Monday for six weeks until I finally heard something back. And then once I heard something back, it was basically a scramble for me to become a survivalist. <laughs> yeah. Let's, like, uh, so I want to <laughs> preface this. So we kind of, I kind of was teasing this out earlier, but 
so a couple weeks ago, Barry posted something on Facebook and, and the, the gist of it is that, uh, this Facebook post, the gist of it was basically people are coming to, to Barry or to you saying, Hey, how do I get on the show? And this Facebook post was basically like, uh, you, you play a role, like, you know, and you'd gone on to explain how you played a role to get on the show and how, um, you know, the, the person that was presented to the, in the application process wasn't necessarily the person that showed up, um, for boot camp. And so just to kind of give that background and then if you can continue with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, I'm not that like I've gone, I've, like, I've camped, you know, I've camped like, like normal humans. <laughs> like I took drinks and food and tents and all the amenities. Like I, I did that a little bit. Um, let's see. I trapped my first animal on the show. I, I didn't, I never grew up trapping. I didn't do that. Um, I, I moved around too much. Um, there was never any stability in my life where I could establish that kind of a skill set. You know what I mean? Um, if we didn't have food, my dad stole potatoes. That's what he did. Like that's, that's, that's real. That's real talk. Um, so yeah, whenever I, whenever I started applying for the show is because I wanted to win a half a million dollars. And because also at the same time, I kind of had that, uh, the, I kind of had that armchair quarterback view of the show where I thought, man, I mean, like I can take a beating. I know I can take a beating. I'm a tough dude. I've been through a lot of like physical stuff. Surely I can laugh. You know, at that time when I was watching season five or whatever, it was, I mean, there were there wasn't really a lot of people out there over 90 days. So I thought, I can take a beating that long for half a million dollars. So I started preparing for the role of my life. Um, I began researching on YouTube. I went and got a library card for the first time since I was in middle school. I checked out books. I started reading. And something about me is that I have a photographic memory. Um, I have the ability to retain information pretty quickly and, and easily. And um, I'm extremely, I have extremely high ability to be uh, ingenuitive in situations um, because I've always watched my family take, you know, build something out of nothing, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I started playing a role, and that role was the role of a survival. So I began adopting all of my uh, social media immediately. I started putting all of, uh, all of these, videos of me doing things like that normally I wouldn't do. Um, <laughs> I would merely watch a YouTube video in the morning and in the afternoon be putting my own garbage up, regurgitating the same information up on my face. And um, this this sure cram was, session this cram session started right when you applied, is that is that right? No, this actually applied okay, so this is something crazy. Well <clears throat> I was already kind of like goofed around in the Colorado Mountains. <clears throat> And I didn't want to buy a lot of gear because it's expensive and it's ridiculous. And I don't do it all the time. So I just started going out and like as a minimalist, like just working with just like a knife. And when I started doing that, everybody was like, oh, my God, that's so cool, man. You just go up there with a knife and that's all you do. And I was like, really? You think that's cool? So I was like, oh, I'll run with this. I was like, okay, so, yeah, I'll be a minimalist. That's what I'll do. I'll just go up there and build shelters. And it was all it was. Everybody thinks it's so complicated. They pay these people these big money to go to all these courses. It's not hard. Like, if you've ever played in the woods as a kid, it's the same thing. It really is the same thing. So that's what I started doing. I started playing in the woods once I started applying. And then once they told me, or then once I started getting further through the selection process, because it's quite a lengthy process, I started stepping up my game. I started becoming more and more of a character. I started getting deeper into the role researching more and more um, survivalists. I was watching every single survival show I could, just again, retaining information. And yeah, it was basically a cram session. Um, when I got to boot camp, um, I knew I wasn't a survivalist like the people around me. These people were high speed. I mean, they were wearing the clothes from the animals they caught and shit like that. Like, I was an actor. I was just trying to get on a show and win half a million dollars. Um, and so when it finally came to the boot camp day where we had to go and show off our skills, they'd given us like a list of items. It was like 15 items that we had to bring with us from home. And then we had to pass the day before we went out 
so we could show off our skills, build shelter, fire, water, food, all this other kind of stuff. So I, I was talking to my wife at the time. I told her, I was like, dude, these people are legit. I am I am not sure I'm going to do it. You know, I'm not sure I can take the funk over these people. And my wife's like, you got to do something big. And I was like, I do. So what I decided to do was I only took out five of the 15 items. So I was sitting up there in my room and everybody's going out to the bus with all their 15 items, 25 of us. And then we're eventually going to get whittled down to, to, to the 12 that go out. And I'm like, okay, man, all or nothing, you know, and that's how I've lived my whole life, like balls out all or nothing. So I wrapped up five things that I, that I, like I would normally take up into the mountains in Colorado whenever cause I told you, I was like, Oh, I'll be a minimalist. That sounds, that people think that's cool. I'll do that. So I took the five things that I normally take up in the mountains and I went and did boot camp with it. And I think that was one of the things that separated me from um, all of the people that had the really, really hardcore skills. Um, I was just willing to risk it for the biscuit. Um, the other thing is being able to read a room. I mean, like it, it, it helped that I had been in sales before. I could kind of sense from people what they were wanting to hear or wanting to feel or, or what they were wanting to get from me. I think a lot of people, honestly, were also hoping that I would break in like day five or six. I think a lot of them wanted to kind of get off on the idea of breaking this big, tough dude. And so I think they were looking forward to maybe that happening. But when it didn't, that, that kind of backfired for them. So, yeah, I was completely a, I was a dark horse. I just kind of I inserted behind enemy lines <laughs> as a style. And um, July 3rd. July 3rd, I got the phone call that I'd been selected or that I'd been, I'd been casted for the role as Barry Karcher in season two, evidently. So, um, yeah, that's how it happened pretty much for me, man. I, I, um, I faked it, I faked it till I made it. <laughs> was there, was there any reality that hit when you got that phone call or did that not happen? When did the reality no, no, hit? No, no. <laughs> still too much ego. There was still way too much ego back then. Um, there was way too much, um, the reality hit whenever my boots hit the boot. Whenever they dropped me off on my helicopter and I forgot my hat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whenever. Right. Whenever they took off and they didn't come back, um, that's when I realized, oh my god, what have I done? That's when the that's when the theoretical caught up with the reality of, of what of what it was. Now I actually had to. I actually now had to, to walk it like I talked. It was showtime. The cameras were on. You know what I mean? And that's how I viewed it. I viewed it very much like that, like it was a reality TV show and I was filming myself and this was a role and I got to do this incredible, uh, this opportunity, you know, and uh, that's how I looked at it. I, I tried to set up my shot, uh, you know, with the idea of like a movie, kind of a, you know, foreground, middle ground, background. I, uh, you know, divided my screen into thirds, trying to put myself and, you know, I did all of this artistic act, all these artistic things to make sure that I could um, also tell a great story. That's what I wanted to do was get a lot of great footage so that they could tell a good story because I completely trusted the editors and the, and the uh, directors and, and those who were going to be handling my footage. Um, but very quickly, you know, I got out there and realized Holy moly, man! There's no, there's no cut in the action. You know, there's no scene. There's, there's just cameras rolling, and now it's showtime. And so at that point in time, yeah, it, it became very scary, scary. But I had, a, I had a photographic memory. I just started going back through my rolodex um, of things I knew, things I'd learned. Um, and something that was really odd about me was the old Barry. The old Barry used to be one of those guys who like. Uh, Anything he tried, you know, he was just kind of one of those guys that was good at it. And like, um, I thought this would be no different. You know what I mean? Um, such ego, such this ridiculous ego going out into Mother Nature and just thinking you can wing it. I mean, just ridiculous ego. And um, she, she, uh, she bent me over for it. You know? Is that the is that the variable? I mean, to me, it, I think it makes sense that the variable there that that makes the difference is that you know nature is something not to be trifled with, right? Um, well, it, it isn't. But here's the thing: like to be honest, man, like I went in, I went in knowing a few things, and like I knew my hands were tied in the way that I could hunt that fish. I could put a lot of rules on you. Like so, 
all the hillbilly stuff that I had studied or anything like that I would learned from all my buddies in the past, in the time that I had spent in the woods, because I'll be honest, I mean, when I, growing up in Kentucky, whenever we were out in the woods, I mean, we weren't doing things by the book. Um, so like none of that stuff was viable. You know yeah. what I mean? You couldn't, you couldn't use those methods to trap. You couldn't use any of that. So your hands were tied. So I thought, well, my hands are already tied. Um, you know, um, also they're putting this out there September 9th. You know, it's not like they're putting this in the spring where we had time to <laughs> harvest and, and store or anything like that. So like, I never even got to even tap into those Rolodexes, mental Rolodexes that I filed away in my memory book. Um, yeah. So it was, I kind of knew that it was going to be a shit show from the jump. So really what I was thinking was, well, I just got to be tougher than everybody else out here. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that, that answers it perfectly. I'm just, I'm just listening. Um, cause again, I, I think, I think it's such an incredible story and, and I love how you, you had this transformation. I, I think to me, even more incredible than, than how you got there is, is, is who you are and how you came out of it. Um, I'm just very, very impressed by that. Um, so what, can you kind of talk more in depth about that process and, and what it felt like? as you had to face that old self, um, you know, I guess, can you talk through that headspace and and those feelings of, of recognizing and then moving forward? Yeah, no problem. Like I, um, I remember this one video when we first started and it, um, it had, um, man, I gotta be honest. Like I'm, I'm kind of over the show. Like I, I, I don't really, like you're the first alone. This is the first one I've always brought up alone or anything like that in some time. So like, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not like an alone. Like I, I, I'm kind of Johnny Depp. Like I don't watch my own movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, season one, the winner from season one. Um, Alan. Yeah. Alan, thank you. Um, Alan, in this one video said, if you, if you, if you're going out there just for the money, you better check your, you better check your reasons or something like that. That was, and that was like in this video that we all got shared before he went out and it completely resonated with me. That was the only reason I was going out there. Like why in the hell, why else would I go out there? Like why else would I put myself through that? Like, I mean, it's not a good time. It's not like a, it's not a fun time. And so I was out there for the money. Whenever he said that to me, he goes, okay. And so I said to myself, well, that's something I probably need to think about. Like, what if I don't win? Because I had it in my head that I just was. I was like, what if I don't win? What am I going to get out of this if I don't win? And then like, I had like a few days before launch and I was like, well, that's a pretty deep question. What am I hoping to get? And so then what I decided was that I was going to not, stuff any emotion or feeling or thought or memory that came up i wasn't going to step it under the rug like i had done 40 years before i promised myself that i would address it and i would meditate on it and i would come to a conclusion one way or the other over it whether i'm not over it or whether i am i, I was going to i was going to work through this the, the process and that's a beautiful heartwarming concept whenever your belly's full and you're warm and you're surrounded by people and you just got off the phone with your loved one you know it all sounds it sounds all sounds very doable what eventually ended up happening out there was it started off slow um the inky blackness found a chink in my armor um probably right around a month in a month in, I began to forget what my children's faces looked like and my, and I couldn't remember their faces. For the life of me, I couldn't put their faces in context and remember them, nothing. And I realized, I read about this, I was like, crap, my brain's going lizard. Like, it's, it's forgetting the things that no longer are relevant. It's more important for me to recognize that berry, the game trail, the stat, the score, yada, yada, yada. And as I began to forget the details of my of my life, my PIN number to my ATM, my phone number, my address, 
as all of those began to dissolve, what began to brew and bubble from the bottom were the memories. And what a lot of people don't, and I hope, won't ever have to experience is that whenever you have no distraction, nothing, nothing can distract you from, from what's trying to, at all times, reconcile itself in your subconscious, whenever it finally makes its way in, the memories, they don't just come back politely. They kick in your door. They hold you to the ground and they sit you right where they're at and they recreate themselves. They come back with audio, some with smell. They come back playing like full movie roles. They're not memories anymore. They're trauma reenactment. I was freezing in my shelter in negative 30 and 40 degree weather going on two weeks without food. But in my mind, I was the homeless five-year-old boy laying on the corrugated metal of the van that we were living in because we were homeless, counting the minutes before I would get up and go get ready in the jack-in-the-box bathroom for school. They come back like you're there. So whenever I promised myself that I would sit down and I would confront them and I would meditate with them and I would come to a decision, <laughs> it almost sounded like I had control. So what happened for me, and this is just my experience, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but as I went deeper into starvation, because I don't know if, it's, if I still have the record, but I think I, I hold I held the record for the lo- most weight loss loss in a, in, 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 on the show. As I began to starve, as I began to freeze, and I had nowhere else to be but in my bag, basically what it became was one big, long, giant therapy session. Where I would have these memories triggered out of nowhere. Some of them violent. Some of them sickening. Some of them abrupt. And where do you go? Where was I going to go? Nowhere. You lay there in your bag. You sort it out. And that was the pie. That was my guess. To be honest, if I'd won that show, it'd have been worse than if I hadn't. I would have kept on believing I was that guy who could just do anything and win. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's sorry it's just such a deep a deep concept and a, a deeply personal story that you've shared um that is interesting to think about of you know if you had one um would that victory have allowed old Barry to creep back in even after you had had those those experiences with yourself and and coming to grips with with yourself i guess we'll never know hey unless they uh unless they do another repeat season right you mean like a redemption season yeah oh they'll never have me back on (laughs) that ship sailed i mean i I I, huh said that ship sailed huh? i'm I'm pretty sure it has i mean i would love to i would do it in a heartbeat i have no why not i mean i have the experience now you know i've been before you know now i now the reasons I go into the mountains are because I we we have a mutual respect for each other. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have more knowledge than I have more knowledge than I definitely uh, than I had when I went in. But yeah, I mean, uh, a redemption season probably not because you know I think they all knew that I was in a way a fraud out there, just trying to you know fight my way. To, to the finish line and um but you know, i'll be honest they saved my life by pulling me on basically my i was that was really bad 
I was really, really bad. And I didn't really know how bad it was until I was at the hospital a couple hours later and I got out of my clothes and I put on the gown and I was finally able to see myself for the first time and I was down to about 152 pounds. I went out uh, weighing about, I went out weighing 240. Um, so it was like, it was like looking at a completely different human being, a skeletonized version of myself. It was very interesting. I remember the first words I said to myself, I looked, I, I was, I had my gown on and I was washing my hands for the first time in, in over two months of soap. And um, I was amazed. I was, first of all, I was shocked. I was shell shocked. The lights were, the lights were screwing with me, the TV, the sounds, everything. I could smell every cologne, every food. I, I was, I was feral. I was, a, I was an animal. And then I lifted up my gown and I saw my body and I said to myself, I go, what have you done, Bob? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I had a very long road ahead of me because I used to be a very physical human being. I used to lift weights all the time. I was really big into all that you know, I'm better than you bullshit. And it was just different. Um, you know, it's just different. So weird to see my body like that. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be, uh, I mean, haunting. Because, you know, for me, I just rewatched your clips and, and you know, you had a moment where you, you know, they had you lift your jacket and stuff up so they could, I think it was, they could, you know, listen to you breathe and stuff. And it was like, wow, you know, you, you had definitely had had gone pretty far um i'm curious how how this cleansing process um how that continued when you got home and and how that you know how the the trauma really of of coming back into what is i guess quote unquote normal society today how that process continued to to work through you i'm still doing it I'm an astronaut, man. I I don't know how to explain this to you any better. And I try and help people understand. And this is one of the p- biggest parts of my depression. I'm so alone, dude, in this world. Because what we go through out there on that show, less than 1% of the population will ever experience. I mean, I'm in therapy. I talk to my therapist. And even she just has to tell me some days, I, I can't help you. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how, I don't know anything. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to fix that. Yeah. You know, you know, I came back and it was, it was like I, it was like I, I was woken up from a coma. Well, first of all, whenever I came out, I think that I was okay and ready to come home because I felt an extreme obligation to get back to my wife and kids because I, I had left her alone with a seven week old baby and a two year old boy. So again, um, I didn't allow myself time to really recuperate the way I should have. They took care of me in regards to like my refeeding. They wanted to make sure I didn't experience refeeding syndrome and kill myself. But they were really good with that and my nutrition. Um, I will say this, man, the aftercare program in regards to the mental health is, is I'm sure, I mean, I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's not the best. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's left up to us. And unfortunately, there's just not a lot of help that's specialized enough for what we go through. Um, yeah, man, I don't, I, I, I woke, it was like I woke up from a coma and somebody goes, this is your wife, this is your house, this is your job, your career, these are the clothes you like to wear, you like, you like to do this on your spare time. It was like somebody had to be reminded me of, of, of who this, of who I was. And then, what really became a problem, Sam, was that I didn't like it. I didn't like the dude that died in the Arctic. I still don't. I, I talk to him like he's somebody else. When somebody talks to me about him and they're negative, I, I, I'm like, tell me more. What, what, else was, what else was about him? It's like somebody inhabited my body. I don't know how to explain it any better than that. I came home. I don't like to exercise. <laughs> no, I'll stay active. But I'm not going to go in a gym and pick something up and put it down. <laughs> like I have time I have my most precious asset I'm not going to do it anymore I quit my career I'm not doing that anymore that's not me how, how did I ever find joy in that career and then, and then my poor wife you know I'm my ex-wife now you know I mean I, 
imagine having you think you found this partner, this life partner, you've connected on all these levels, and then you come back and it's a stranger. And you can't connect anymore. There's no, no connection. There's nowhere to connect anymore besides the kids. And and, the, and, I'm, and this is what I'm and this is what I'm trying to, to help people understand. Like, I live a very complicated afterlife in regards to the show. It's extremely complicated because I do whatever I want, <laughs> and it's not societal norms. It's not. Um, I don't work a nine to five job. I I probably haven't thought about even saving any money or doing or investing or anything like that in years. Man, my money is not a goal. <laughs> it's fiat. It's just, I just I, it's hard to fit in this world anymore. And at first it was very scary. It was very scary because I thought I would be able to reintegrate. I thought I'd be able to get right back into it. I thought I'd be able to get right back I thought I was going to come back with a half a million dollars in a cool store. I didn't. I came back a different human being, right? Physically. With an entire world looking at me, judging me from my actions on the show, you know, uh, not knowing that I was literally just a dad trying to make some money and do something big with his life. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, and, and you mentioned about the just about how hard it is coming back and how you're completely different. It just it's bringing back these memories of other people have talked about how they, you know, in conversations with me that they've you know hiding in bathrooms at work. You know, one example that I'm recalling, you know, immediately of someone who you know, coming back and, and getting back into life, they literally at work had to go hide in the bathroom because they just couldn't handle being in that office space. Um, you know, and, and other people, you know, we discussed how, you know, there just is no one, right. I had this conversation with someone else of how there's just no one in the world that understands. I mean, there's such a small number of people. There's those from the show. And then, you know, really the only other people that you don't talk to each other. I mean, like we like, like they like to, they like to put on like it's a big, like a lone family, but it's not. It's not like that. Like it's not. Like, like besides Justin Vitito and maybe Larry Roberts, <laughs> like nobody's reached out. Nobody reaches out to anybody. Like unless you already knew each other or something. But like, I know people who are hurting bad from this show, and you know they got used up and out by production and no aftercare and they came back and they 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 don't know how to cope i mean I, i'm not going to name names but it's, it's 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 bad you know um i know that they tried to get me involved in their aftercare program but i have to be honest with you dude like nobody called like People know I starved. They know I didn't win. They know I froze. I was out there for 69 days, which is you know quite a bit of time. Still, nobody ever calls. None of, nobody from the show ever calls and talks about their pains, their problems, because we just feel like nobody's going to get it. It's so personal. It's so personal and so unique. There's not really a kumbaya circle for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I, it, I, I, I think it's very. I mean, you know, it's very tough on us. Yeah, I think Justin and I, um, I think we were were off record, um, but we were talking about kind of the military aspect and and how it's it's very similar that there's just, you know, even like even right now, like I, I respect and understand that, you know, everyone I've talked to or the twelfth conversation I've had, you know, I, I fully recognize and understand that everyone I'm talking to, like while you're telling me these stories you know, I feel like I'm a somewhat empathetic person and I try and, and understand, but I mean, you and I both know, and, and you especially know that I have absolutely no idea. And it's, yeah, it does have to be so difficult to share your stories and share your life, knowing that there's nothing you can do, no words you can say, no anything to, to truly have people understand 
any measure of, of what you've experienced. No, and to be honest, man, it doesn't matter anyway. Okay, like I'll be honest. Okay, so like here's what I know. Here's one of the big things I'll be honest. This is one of the big things, right? Like, um, like people all the time, they're like, you should be a motivational speaker. My God, like your, your stories, the, the, your history, your background, you should, you, should, you should motivate people. And I just like, you have no idea how ridiculous the concept is to me because I know the attention span of the average human. Like you will motivate somebody one day and then 30 days later, they'll be right back to what they're doing, right? But you run around patting yourself on your, on your back going, I'm a motivational speaker. I'm changing lives. I mean, nah. You're collecting money. Like, you know, like, so, you know, and it's not, one of the worst things you could ever say to somebody, first of all, is that you understand and you get it. Like whenever I talk about starvation and somebody starts talking about, uh, I fasted once, but shut up. <laughs> no, you, you know, like don't even try and connect with me. Stop. Like, it's you not had choices. Work. Yeah. You had choices then. And then, and then I had choices too. I could have hit a button and left, but I got addicted to that healing. I got addicted to that. I got addicted to that healing moving through all those trauma, uh, uh, trauma and so, um, but yeah, it's just like, you stop talking about it, you stop sharing, you stop communicating because it never fails. There's always the one-upper. There's always the guy who's done it bigger. He's always the, there's always the lady who knows this or that. It's like, for, for, forget about it. I'm not going to even talk about it anymore because nobody really cares anyway. And all they're really doing is waiting for their turn to speak. So yeah, like I have, it's not something that I run around chit-chatting about um, on the regular. And it's because from my time on the show and the reintegrating and back into society, certain larger views, certain bigger pictures come into, into play and you start realizing how really insignificant it really was. I mean, uh, it, it was a TV show. You know, it was a big deal for me and for my little circle. You know what I mean? But you know, Barry Karcher now is definitely ready for bigger things. Next big thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And and I, you know, first of all, I'll just quickly say thank you. Um, you mentioned just barely and then even a little bit further that you typically don't do much talking about the show anymore. And it's it's funny actually, like this episode, I mean, we're we're fifty minutes in, we'll be, you know, wrapping up here pretty soon. But this is the most we've ever talked like I mean, we're not talking about alone. We're talking about kind of your, you know, you and, and how it's impacted you. But I, I appreciate you being willing to to be open and, and share and, and be honest with these experiences because it's, I think it's important on so many levels, um, which again is part of what I was trying to, to do is to show that, I mean, the, the people that, that people see on TV are real people and there's real ramifications and repercussions to, to every aspect of this show. And so I, I really appreciate you, you know, doing that and, and sharing those things with us. Um, you've mentioned that you're, you know, you're on to the next big thing you're pivoting. It seems like you're, you know, you're, I don't want to say a career change, but a, I don't know what you would call it, but you're trying to get into acting and, and other things. Can you share what you're up to these days and and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, for, for whenever I, from the show, I, I found my peace. I mean, I have, I have peace in my life. I think it's the thing that uh, most men live in a quiet desperation most of their lives for is the feeling that I have attained. Um, so everything in my life is committed to sustaining that peace. I nearly died for it. So I'm going to, I'm going to take care of it. Anything I do, anyone I involve in my life, any, anything I manifest, any words I speak into the ethos are all about preserving that peace. I work, I do the work that I do because it brings me peace. And when I think about trading my time, which is my greatest asset, I don't view the world the same way anymore. It's just different for me. The time is everything I have. 
So when I think about what I would want to trade my time for in exchange for fiat, you know, money, the concept of acting just sets me on fire. It enthralls me. I feel, I feel this eruption that's contained inside of me, and I can't wait to share it when I get to pour myself into a role, pour myself into something important. The same way I did with this show alone. I poured myself into that damn thing. And that was just for a measly half a million that would have been taxed. I, I, I know what I'm capable of and I know what I want to trade my time for. And when I follow my heart, which is all I do now, that's where it leads. So yeah, man, that's, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm doing and that's what I will do. I uh, don't know how. I'm not a, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't have a clue. Nothing in 40 years that I did set me up to be an actor. But I don't care. That's what I want to do. It seems like you, you've done some gigs with, I don't know if it's Colorado Tourism or Colorado Parks. Um, so yeah, it seems like fun. That was the first time I got to do a commercial. That was cool. Yeah, that was really fun. That was for the Colorado Department of Tourism. Yeah, they played, that was on YouTube. And then, um, and then there were like two others that played on gas stations around the Denver metropolitan area and stuff like that. That was kind of neat. But, um, the, you know, I think that was a perfect, that was a perfect example of, 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 of where I'd like to see my future going. You know, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. That's great. Can you share um, things that you're doing and, and steps you're taking to to work in that direction? I so guess even further I, in that direction than you already are. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been okay, so I've, I've been I've been blessed to have I've been working with an incredible um, with an incredible acting coach for over a year now. Um, she has been just an incredible delight. Um, I'm also now venturing more uh, into the theater into the theater realm of things. Um, even though film. And, and that and, and that is my big passion. I, I I'm looking forward to doing some more local work just to help build my resume a little more. One of the things that I'm finding is that even though I I know I can do it and I I will do it, they love a resume and just like alone loves a resume. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do a few things here. I guess you could call another cram session and start um, trying to build that resume up. Um, I um. Uh, in current contact with two casting directors, um, one out of Denver and then one out of California currently, um, who, who are also trying to work with me and getting in, into, into the business. So by putting myself out there and, and making it known that this is what I want to do, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how much you know about, I don't know how much I want to talk about it really, but you know, um, uh, uh, focus, focus. You know, I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm vibrating exactly what I need in my life, and, and it's coming with me. Um, and so I'm really extremely grateful for the people that I'm working with and who are guiding and leading me to the people who can assist me. Um, um, of course, I'm getting turned down a lot, too. That's part of the fun. No big deal on that. That's, that's kind of cool. Like if, you know, if, if, I just, if, I, if, I, if I hit a home run out of the park on the first gig, I don't know if I would trust it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't mind. I don't mind uh, the, the the rejection, but yeah. So that's what I've been doing lately, just to kind of get myself prepared. Uh, I'm consistently working with my with my coach, uh, working on my resume. Um, I'm also trying to. I'm about to hire a company. which is really kind of interesting. I learned from Miss Elise Boniface, my uh, my incredible uh, stylist, my hairstylist, um, about a new type of acting resume, where it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a reel, like a reel. You have three or four skit scenarios that are like, you know, super, super short scenarios. And then you send it in and they do all the editing and they, they put it all together for you and it makes a really cool kind of a resume. So I'm just seeking these new avenues, uh, these new avenues, these new, uh, these new flipper snappers they're using to, to get into, uh, get into the, uh, get in front of these passing directors and that sort of thing. So just trying to keep up with it all and trying to make those connections that will, that will make the difference. That's great. When when did you start, you know, actively pursuing this, you know, I'll call it acting, but kind of this creating and and 
emoting, putting yourself out there? When did you actively start pursuing this phase in this chapter? All right. Well, so actively started pursuing this probably right around the, I see probably right around, probably about a year after I got back and I started being able to um, function physically because um, it was a long road physically to recover um, and really started uh, exploring what, uh, what set me on fire. You know, what I didn't want to do anything that wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do anything that I didn't want to do any, anymore. <laughs> uh, it was a major, it was a major problem for a lot of people in my life. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I learned to say no. Um, so I'd say about a year after I got back, but to be honest, I've been, I've been performing my whole life. Like, I was a performing as a little kid. I always used humor and performing in my family to help ease our woes. Um, you know, we didn't always have the television, so I would get up there and I would rap Beastie Boys, or I would uh, do a skit from the Cosby Show or something like that. Um, um, I sang in bands uh, in high school and out of high school. I sang in high school chorus. I, I've always been willing to put myself out there and do it and perform. Um, never had a problem being judged or ridiculed. I always thought that was the coolest part, actually, was uh, I get the kids call them haters nowadays, but I always thought that the, the most famous people were the ones who were getting all the uh, all the worst publicity as I remember it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I don't know. So, anyways, I don't know. Just growing up as a kid, it was always my coping mechanism. It was always how I I found peace in a world that didn't provide it. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. But I ramble. I'm going on. I digress. No, you're, you're great. Well, uh, we'll start wrapping up here. I just, do you have, you know, public socials or anywhere that, that you want people to find you or you like people to find you? Do you keep that private? No, 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 not at all. I, I have an Instagram, Barry Karcher. It's, it's, it's my name and I, I dig it. I've had it for a long time. Um, I have a, I have a TikTok, believe it or not. I love the editing platform on that, on that, um, on that app. It's really, really cool. I've been able to do a lot of my comedic shorts on that one. Um, and then I have my Facebook. I have my public Facebook for the alone page, but I don't put anything on it. You're not going to find nothing on there. And then I have my, my own private Facebook page. But if you friend request me, I'm, I'm probably not going to let you in. You know, so <laughs> your, best, your best option is just to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Perfect. So you've got Instagram. And then what is your, what's your handle for TikTok? It's, it's my name, Barry Karcher. Nothing wrong with it. I cool. like it. I'm the only one. And then you can be at BarryCarcher at Yahoo.com. Also, if, you, if anybody has anything you want, any script they want to shoot over to me, I'll give them a lead or Cool. And I'll get all of those linked in the description to the show. Um, Barry, as we, as we wrap up again, you know, thank you so much for your time and, and for your openness. Is there any kind of last words that you want to share? Any, you know, last <laughs> tidbits of advice or information, anything you want to set records straight on or anything like that before we close? Okay. One last thing. You ready? Bring it. Okay. Whenever you die, 99.9999999998% of the population won't even really know about it. And then eventually, there's going to be another global ending event. We've already had five or two, right? And eventually, the whole planet is just going to go cold. It's going to be this rock. It's just kind of spinning in space and everything. And it's all just going to be forgotten about. And I don't want anybody to ever forget that. Every day you make a decision, every opportunity you, you have to be happy, every opportunity you have the chance to follow your heart, every chance you have to, to do the right thing, every chance you have to heal the wound, to mend the relationship, every chance you have. Go ahead and take it. Go ahead and take it. It's really all going to go cold. And I guess that's what I want to do. K. 
Okay. Well, Barry, thank you for that. And again, thank you for your time and, and thank you for your story and for your wisdom and, and sharing the things that you've not only learned, but that you've experienced. So with that, you have a good night and I am super excited to follow and, and see where your future takes you. I'm signing off from Colorado. Gary Carter and Sam Carter. Good night. <laughs>